I want you to open your Bibles now to Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And we have been, we've gotten to the door of the open heaven. We've gotten to the door. It's taken us two days. We've gotten to the door. But we're, <laughs> we're going to go a little farther today. We've been speaking about this, that every phraseology, every phrase and every word in the Bible is of utmost importance. And everything has a significance. And you want to see, when you see a reference, you want to go and search what it means. In Revelation chapter 4, he said, after, her, after these things I looked, verse 1, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me. Someone say, like a trumpet. And we're going to begin to dive into that of the voice like a trumpet. And the voice like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you things which must take place. The voice of a trumpet, the first thing that it speaks to us about is God calling his people to come close to him. Exodus chapter 19. Beginning with verse 13, God was speaking to Moses. He said, when the trumpet sounds long, then they shall come near the mountain. In verse 16, it says, then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people of the camp trembled. Verse 19 and 20. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called, Mo called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. The first place we see a trumpet being described in scriptures, this is called the law of first mention, is in this place. And there is no reference in scripture that the trumpet was a natural trumpet blown by the Israelites. This was a sound that came from God. And God said, when you hear the trumpet blast, come to the mountain. When you hear the trumpet blast, Come up into the place where I am manifesting my glory. And John heard Jesus, the voice, a loud voice. He saw a door open in heaven. And he heard the voice like a trumpet saying, come up here. And I'm telling you, we are in a day when we are about to hear the voice of God like a trumpet again. Someone say, come up here. And the Lord called, called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Why? Because God was about to reveal himself. God even instituted it as a principle or as a process. Numbers chapter 10, verse 2 and 3. He said, make two silver trumpets for yourself. I'm going to give you a lot of words today. Is that all right? Make two silver trumpets for yourselves. You shall make them of hammered wood. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. When they both blow, when they blow 
both of them. All the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, why is that significant? Because the tabernacle of meeting was the place where God would visit and manifest himself and speak to Moses. Exodus 33 verse 9 through 11 tells us about this. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So God says, make two trumpets. When you blow the trumpet, call the people to the place where I speak to you face to face as a man speaks a friend. Are y'all hearing me? So it's not only just God calling us to come close to him. He's calling us up into a new dimension of intimate face to face relationship. He wants to bring us into partnership with himself. I'm going to say that again. You're going to understand what that means in a few minutes. But he wants to bring us into partnership with himself. See, Jesus wasn't coming to give John just kind of a cool experience so he could write a book and have three conferences on going to the heavenly realm. Right? He said, come up here. The voice like a trumpet. See, John knew what that meant because he knew the scriptures. He knew when God speaks with the voice of a trumpet, it is a summoning for his people to come to where his glory manifests, where he will speak to them face to face as a man speaks to his friend. See, God desired for the children of Israel to come into that relationship. But when the trumpet blew and they saw the front thunderings and the tremblings and all and the lightnings and all the noise and the fire, they were afraid and they ran away from God. And God said, I would that they would fear me, not be afraid of me, but fear me. I would that they would fear me. But it's actually because they said, hey, Moses, you talk to God. And just tell us what he says. We don't want to get consumed by that. And God actually agrees with the people. He said, it's good that they don't come near this kind of manifestation of me. Because if they don't fear me and they bring their carnality into this place, my fire will consume them. So I need to distance them from me as an act of mercy. Do you realize that God will actually separate himself from people that are living a compromised life because it's mercy? You think it's, we call it the, we think it's the anger of God. And that's why so many people are preaching these false doctrines of grace. Because they're trying to, they've confused the mind of God. And we're going to see this in in the throne in a moment. But they sit there and they think, well, God's loving and forgiving and merciful. Therefore, he would never push us away. He's loving and forgiving and merciful. So he pushes you away when if you get too close, you're going to get burned up because you got junk on you. Huh? Come on. Come on, parents. You know, when you're cooking on the stove and the little kid reaches up and starts to grab it, sometimes you don't have time to sit there and say, now, honey, that's hot. No, smack that hand. Am I telling the truth? 
that's not an act of anger or vengeance. That's an act of love and mercy. I would rather you sting for a moment than be scarred for a lifetime. That's not a mean God. That's a merciful God. That's a loving God. So God said, yeah, they need to stay away. I would that they would fear me. Because if they fear me, if they tremble at my word, they won't deal with me incorrectly. They, don't, they won't bring their iniquity into the worship. Huh? We've got churches filled. Filled with worship teams. I'm telling you, with worship leaders that are homosexuals, that are engaged in all kinds of sexual immorality. But, oh, I get up there and praise God. And God, I'm telling you, thus saith the Lord, the day is about at hand. When God is going to blow the trumpet and he's going to separate. He says, why? Because I need to show my glory in order to reach the world. Because only as he be lifted up and his glory manifested will many of the lost ever be able to be drawn to him. He said, if I be lifted up, I draw all men unto me. But the problem is if I send my glory right now, I have to judge the church because they're so carnal. So I'm withholding my glory, but because I'm withholding my glory, there's multitudes that are not coming to me. So I, in mercy and love for the lost, am also going to be willing to judge my church. Judgment begins with the house of God. Not because I'm just a mean, angry, vengeful God. Judgment begins with the house because i got to get you right so I can get the glory in the house so I can reach them. You see, we've got to get a right concept of what God is and what God is like. Come on, you guys are living it right here. You have people who claim and maybe in their own minds believe they're being merciful to certain segments of the population. So they've removed all consequences for what they call minor crimes. What happens? Crime goes crazy. And more and more innocent people suffer. So what's going to have to happen is there's going to have to come a judgment to the criminals to spare the innocent. You understand? It's a principle of the kingdom. That's why the Bible says spare the rod. You hate your child. Oh, y'all looking at me. Y'all heard spare the rod, spoil the child. That's not what it says. Read it. It doesn't say that. It says you spare the rod, you hate your child. You're not acting in love when you spare the rod. You're not acting in love when you allow that person, that young person. Come on. You're not acting in love when you allow their bedroom at 13 years old to have all kinds of demonic posters and them watching all kinds of demonic games and doing all kinds of modern. And you say, well, I got to respect their room. Excuse me. Where in the Bible did it say you got to give them a den of of the devil in your house? Well, I'm too afraid they won't like me. I'd rather my child for a season not like me and go to heaven than than, than think me I'm the coolest dad and go to hell. See, when the voice of the Lord of 
of the Lord is as a trumpet. It is God calling us to come close to him because he wants to speak to us and reveal himself. So Jesus says, come up here and I will show you the things to take place. What is Jesus doing in heaven? The Bible tells us clearly, he ever liveth to intercede. Jesus is not revealing to us prophetic revelation so we can post it on Facebook and say we got a cool word and look, I'm a prophet. He's revealing to us prophetic revelation so we can be prayer partners with him. Because he is revealing to us what he's about to do so we can pray it into existence. One of the things that I've taught has been bringing breakthroughs to people. Many, for years, we've taught incorrectly that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we gave dominion of the earth to the devil. That is a lie. For the gifts and call of God are without repentance. We did not give our dominion to the devil. What we did is we yielded to his darkness. And because we had the authority to release into the earth whatever we chose, when we yielded to the devil, we, mankind, released darkness into the earth. Huh? See, the devil just can't come in and take over San Francisco or the Bay Area unless he has a person yielding to him. Are y'all hearing me? It's only as a person yields to the enemy because mankind has been given dominion that we could that they release darkness into the earth. That's why the devil has people speak. That's why there's witchcraft is full of incantation. Declaration. Are y'all hearing me? We're releasing things. We're releasing things. We're yielding to the enemy and we're releasing it. That's why I told people in 2012 when Barack Obama said he has evolved on gay marriage and now he supports it. I, I, told, I, I told the people in Texas, I said gay marriage will now be legal in every state in America because Barack Obama, the president, a man with authority in this country, released that spirit into the nation. And even the Texans, they laughed at me. My church laughed at me. They said, you don't understand Texas. You're from California. You don't know. It'll never happen in Texas. Well, three years later, it happened everywhere. Huh? But just like darkness and evil can be released, when someone yields to the enemy, even a Christian, when we yield to the kingdom of God... We release the kingdom. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Y'all yeah. remember that? My God. And this is one of the reasons, are you ready for this? Why Jesus had to come as a man. Because only man had the right to restore the kingdom of heaven into the earth. So one of the reasons he had to come as a man, because only man had the right to reverse what man had done by the fall and releasing a curse. See, and now Jesus is calling us. Now he says, he, we saw it in Isaiah. 
Don't try to come this close to me and be living in iniquity. Don't come close to me and be selfish and, and careless and, and, and living in a compromising life. Don't do that. I'm not even going to listen. But if you'll defend the fatherless and the widow, if you'll sit there and, and, and turn, wash yourselves and turn from your iniquity, come close to me. Come unto me. And I will show you what I'm about to do so you can pray, release, and declare into the earth what has already been chosen to be done in heaven. Because that's what that verse means. When he said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That, that's a poor translation. You read it from the Amplified. It says, whatever you loose, whatever you bind on earth must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth must be what is already loosed in heaven. So Jesus, the voice of a trumpet, I hope you're getting this, is calling us up to a new prophetic dimension of the revelation of his plans and his purposes so we can clearly see what is illegal and legal, what heaven is determined and say stop, and what heaven has said go. And then we, through prayer and intercession, can release it, prophesy it, and declare it in the earth. Jesus is looking for prayer partners. Uh, no, no, you didn't hear what I just said. Jesus is looking for prayer partners. He's looking for those that he can trust with his secrets. Because what does the Bible say? The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. You see it all tied together. When you fear and tremble at my word, when you live holy and pure, then I can reveal to you my secrets. Again, not so you can write a book. I revealed my secret so you can pray it, sing it, declare it, prophesy it, and release it into the earth. Yeah. Woo! It's so powerful. The dominion that God has destined for us to walk in. That even when he came down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. A lot of people don't understand the nature of God. They look at God of the Old Testament as the mean God. And Jesus came to deliver us from his angry father. It's kind of how they preach it. We're not under the law, Brother Steve. We're under grace. But like I said already, God has to judge. Because if he doesn't judge at times, he has to judge to stop more wickedness from flowing. He's long-suffering. He desires mercy over judgment. But for the sake of all of humankind, sometimes he's got to deal with this in order to spare everybody else. You all know what I'm talking about. If you've ever gone through the situation I've gone through, like with my adopted son that fell into drug addiction, if you've ever had an addict in the house, you know it messes up everything. Because the innocent... I read a quote the other day. A guy said, I was destroyed by drug addiction that was not mine. My life was destroyed by drug addiction that was not mine. It was one of my relatives. So God judges. He shuts it down. Now he's saying, come up here. Because I need a people that are going to really see when Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed. Abraham said, excuse me. 
Will you spare? City of 200,000. 200, Will you spare them for just 50 righteous? God said, yeah. 45. Yeah. 40. Yeah. 30. Yeah. I know I'm pushing it, God. 20. Uh, Lord, don't be angry. How about 10? I'll even spare it for 10. Now, why was God willing to stay the judgment for just 10 righteous people? It, wouldn't it be easier just to get the 10 to leave California? I mean, to leave Sodom and Gomorrah? <laughs> I'm a native Californian. I was born here. I got saved here. This is my home, all right? I might live in free Florida, but I do visit communist California once in a while. <laughs> but not for long. No, I'm still coming. I mean, not for long communist. Why? Why was God willing to spare 200,000 for 10 righteous people? Because 10 righteous people aligned with God can release so much of the dominion power of the kingdom of heaven that can overcome the evil releases of 200,000. Are y'all, come on, are y'all hearing that? The right, but God couldn't even find 10 that would be aligned enough with him to release enough kingdom of heaven that he had to destroy them. And I say this, when the judgments of God fall upon a region and upon a nation in, a, in the Christian church age, it is not because of the heathen. It's because the church failed to release enough of the kingdom of heaven. Boy, it's quiet. Uh-huh. It falls on us. It falls on us. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Oh, there's that face again. Seek my face. You're not going to see his face if you're living a compromised life. You're not going to see his face. He, that's why he wants to blow the trumpet. He wants to, the voice like a trumpet so he can speak to us face to face. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. It's a guaranteed promise of God. Someone say it's a guarantee. You understand now, listen, I'm not saying elections aren't important. They're incredibly important. That's a part of the authority God has given us in this wonderful nation of ours. They're incredibly important. And you better always vote for righteousness. I don't care what symbol is after and what party. You better vote for righteousness. Amen. But beyond that, it is us exercising. You can get the most. You, you can vote in people who claim to be Christians or we think are Christians. But they're not going to change the atmosphere. They only could create a, maybe a bit of a more favorable environment. But what's going to change the atmosphere is when the church gets before the face of God, begins to hear what heaven is saying, declare that illegal and declare that legal, declare that bound and declare that release. Because we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are what's holding this whole thing together. And I'm not trying to beat anybody up because I'm telling you, we need, where two or three are gathered together in my name. We, I need you righteous so that we can partner together so we can release more kingdom. 
And let me just say this and drop this bomb, and I don't mean to make anybody mad, but I'm going to make somebody mad. You wonder why your teenagers, sir, you wonder why your teenage kids are rebellious. Well, maybe it's that pornography you've been looking at on your phone. Because while you're looking at that porn, you're releasing that spirit into your house. It's not about you. It's about your family. It's not about you. See, people sit there and say, well, what I do is my own private business. It doesn't affect anybody. No, what you do affects everybody. What you do affects everybody. And if we walk righteous, that's why the Bible says, the city rejoices when the righteous are in charge. Because they release righteousness. You say, Brother Steve, this is heavy. You're putting too much responsibility on me. Welcome to the family of God. And if you have an issue with being, being connected and being honest and sacrificing in the family issues, just have a little conversation with Ananias and Sapphira. While everybody else was operating in righteousness and functioning in sacrificing to care for each other, they were playing deceptive games. They, they were like the people who come up front during the offering time with an empty hand and they pretend they drop something in and go back. With a little jerk and a chicken. Woo, I felt Jesus. Come on, God's looking for a people that will dwell, be throne room dwellers. That will hear what heaven is saying for the moment. And he can trust them with the power and the authority of that revelation to release the kingdom of heaven into the earth. You can change everything. This man, Pastor Alex, he changed generational poverty. Because listen, when you get around him, let me tell you something. He's a man of holiness. He's a man of preaching righteousness. And he is a man of faith. Every, when you get around him, he just declares, he declares, he declares, he declares, he declares, no kid's going to be left in here. He declares the provision's coming in to feed every one of them. He declares, he's a man of faith. I mean, you ought to hear him preach. He's a fireball. He seems so gentle, and he is such a gentle spirit, but he's a fireball. And God has raised him up. He's a nobody. And you got to understand, Kenya is very hierarchical. You know, either you're born, it's kind of like old great britain old england you know the class structure if you're born into the wealthy then you're wealthy you're poor you stay generationally poor he was poor and now he has he, he meets with the president he meets with the top people i mean everybody in the country like knows about him god just keeps elevating him and he just keeps giving glory to jesus glory to jesus come on we have the ability to change this folks come on amen now watch this come up here and i will show you the things which must take place Immediately. Ha. Ha. Someone say immediately. immediately. I was in the spirit. Poof. I'm there. Yep. Yep. I'm still standing on earth, but I'm, in, I'm there. I'm in two realms at the same time. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. Now, I love this. Jesus says there's an open heaven. Remember, we've been talking about it for days. People think, well, that's just a blessing and a favor. No, the open heaven. Jesus said, come up here. I'm going to show you what's about to take place. But before I even get you on your mission, I need to give you a deeper revelation of my father. 
I need you to see who's really in charge. Huh? I need you to see God the Father. So immediately was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on it. Now watch this carefully. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance like an, em- a, 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 an emerald. Those three descriptions are powerful revelations. First, the jasper. The first thing he's described God as is jasper. Now, we don't really know what that is. And it's probably not a great translation. Because in ancient times, it is really believed by biblical scholars that that was like a diamond. So the first thing he saw about God the Father is he was like a diamond. What are the characteristics of a diamond? The diamond is the hardest of all. It is immovable, unshakable, and unbreakable. It is pure. So the first description he saw of God the Father is God is the God that is immovable, unshakable, unchanging, and pure. Somebody say God. God. Is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, the first thing that God, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, the first description of God is He's the God who is, who was, and who is to come. Now, this is very important, church, and I've been touching on this, but it's so important. If we're going to begin to pray like Jesus prayed, and we're going to walk in his authority, we need to understand his nature. God never changes. He said, I am the Lord, Malachi chapter 3, I change not. God is like a diamond, resolute, hard, secure, unshakable, unbreakable. He never changes. Say it again. Say, God never changes. changes. Now, why does he say that in Malachi chapter 3? God never changes. I, the Lord, change not that you be not destroyed. Now, you say, well, I I know that. I believe that. But that's not what most of we preach. We almost keep preaching like God changed. We preach the Old Testament as one kind of God and the New Testament as a different kind of God. Huh? We're not saying it that way, but that's how we preach it. But God is the same. God has always been a God of mercy. In the Old Testament, oh, Lord Jesus. Someone say he's always been a God of mercy. He's always been a God of love. He's always been a God of justice. He's always been a God of war. He, war. He's always been a God of war. He's always been a God of purity. He's always been a God of righteousness. He is the same. He never changes. And the first thing he sees, John sees about God, is that God is like a diamond. He's, he's, he's absolute stable, unbreakable, unshakable, and he never changes. And you and I need to understand that. Because God's nature never changes, we can trust in his promises. 
We can trust that if he's touched us, if he who saved us yesterday, as Paul said, he who hath delivered us is delivering us and will continue to deliver us. He who has sent revival is sending revival and will continue to send revival. God didn't change. The covenant may have changed, but God's nature did not change. We don't have to sacrifice animals. We got to sacrifice. His name was Jesus. Come on, amen? But God's nature, God still hates sin. Boy, it's quiet. I'm going to say it again. God still hates sin. He still hates sin, period. He's the same. You can understand the nature of God by reading a lot of things in the Old Testament. And that's why the devil has got so many preachers in the church almost telling people, don't pay attention to the Old Testament. Don't listen to that because you can live however you want to live. And you can, you can love however anybody wants to love. You can do whatever you want to do. And everything's going to be fake because God is love. And, and God, and, then, and he's just mercy. And it's just tiptoe through the tulips. And, and everybody's going to heaven. And it don't matter. And they, they're denying the nature of God. God says, I hate sin. I still hate sin. I always hate sin. I've made a way through my son. If you repent and confess your sins, I am faithful because I've always been faithful and I'm just. Wait, wait, wait. I'm just to forgive your sin. I don't just choose to forgive your sin because I'm just to forgive your sin. I have the right to forgive your sin. I am justified in forgiving your sin because my son Jesus paid the price for your repentant sin. So I'm just. Are you all hearing me? God doesn't hand out forgiveness willy-nilly. He doesn't say, well, I just forgive this one. for No, no, no. I am just to forgive you of all your sin. I'm just because of the price that Jesus paid. This is so important that we get a hold of this because I'm telling you, there's so much hyper grace, false message out there. And, and so many people, especially young people, are running to it because it justifies them living an immoral life and still believe the delusion that they're fine with God. And God is long suffering, long suffering. Huh? He's patient. He desires that none, all, all, none should perish, but all should have everlasting life. But there comes a point. There comes a point that God says, that's it. My spirit will not strive with man forever. There comes a point. So the first thing John sees is God hard. He's the God, the God of like a diamond. He never changes. He's pure, utterly pure, but unshakable and unchangeable. The second thing, a Sardis stone. Does everybody say Sardis? (laughs) Now that's a bright red stone. It's a bright, fiery red stone. You know, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 that Jesus' eyes were like fire. Now, when we look at fire, we often just think about, again, judgment. And and there is a consumingness. But you need to understand, again, the law of first mention. The very first time fire is mentioned in association with God is actually back in the Old Testament where it says this. That God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now, that kind of jealousy is not a wrong kind of jealousy or a a, a, a negative motion of jealousy. That kind of jealousy is this. God says, I so desire you. I so desire every part of you. I so love you with such an intensity 
that I am jealous for every part of your attention and your affection. My desire for you is like a consuming fire. So John sees this hard God, unmovable, unshakable, the God of justice. But he also sees this God of passionate, fiery desire. That is looking down at you and me and saying, I love you. I want you. That's why I want all this stuff out of your life. Because I want nothing to stand between you and me. I want nothing to stand between you and me. I want nothing to hinder our relationship. So I am a consuming fire. I am a jealous God for you. I love in, in Song of Solomon, I've taught this here before, but I'll briefly hit it. In Song of Solomon, where, which is a typology of Jesus and the church. The man, the beloved, is Jesus and the Shulamite woman. She represents the church. And Jesus says in there in, in, in Song of Solomon chapter 4, he says, you ravish my heart. God says about you and me, he says, we ravish his heart. That word ravish means to be overwhelmed with emotion. God says, you overwhelm me with emotion, specifically emotions of delight, because you find one particularly attractive. Now, some of you are struggling with this right now. God says, you overwhelm me with emotion because I find you unusually attractive. And then he goes on and clarifies You, with just one look, you have ravished my heart. When you're going through the struggles, when you're going through the battles, when you're going through that and you stop for a moment and everything's negative and you just say, but Lord, I love you. Jesus says, wow, I'm undone. You have ravished my heart. Angels, hush up, hush up, hush up. They're praising me. They're suffering. Their flat tire just came. The refrigerator just blew up. They just got fired. But they're singing praises to me. Woo! I find that attractive. Woo! We struggle seeing God like that. But see, you cannot pray the way God wants us to pray until you see God as he really is. You first, you got to see him as holy and pure and unchangeable and unbreakable. But then you also got to see him a God of ravenous, fiery, passionate desire for you. I so love you that I'm willing to fight every enemy outside and within you. To have all of you. You think I judge you. You think I had you go through that circumstance because I was mad at you. No. I am ravenously, passionately on fire in love with you. And that thing was destroying and separating us. I remember in. 1989, God told me, don't ever get into debt. By 1994, I forgot. (laughs) I actually let some preachers talk me out of it. Tell me how spiritual it was to get in debt for the kingdom. So I got in horrible debt. $120,000 in unsecured debt. Almost all of it was for the ministry. Not living a luxurious lifestyle at all. Finally, it all came tumbling down. Couldn't pay it. The whole thing collapsed. 
God said, I'm going to deliver you from this debt. I said, praise the Lord. I'll give my $1,000 seed, get a hundredfold, pay it off. He said, I'm going to deliver you. He didn't say it was going to be easy. Everything collapsed. Drove us into bankruptcy. Whole thing collapsed. Bankruptcy court came after us. I mean, they, they, they came after. They thought we were a phony Christian organization. They tried, they tried to set us up. The guy, the, he, he brought us in a second time, the, the court-appointed person. And he, in front of everybody, was trying to shame us. And he says, he's he trying to, he, like he caught us. <laughs> I know. You're lying. I've caught you. What is these vaccinations for your tiger? Tiger's the name of our cat. But my, my wife had, had all the records down there. Tiger vaccination shots. So he thought we had an exotic pet. Are you hear that? And it was all a bunch of stuff like that. We went through that terrible process and the Lord spoke to me. He said it was a mercy law that he put into the American legal system. And I said, what? That's not what I've heard preached. And then I looked it up back in 1888 when they passed the, at that time, the modern bankruptcy laws, the seven year. The argument that the New York Times, they've always been hating up anything that had to do with God. The New York Times said, Congress has gone far, way too far this time. They've enacted a biblical year of Jubilee. I read the actual arguments in the U.S. Senate, and you know what they were arguing about? How can we be harder on debtors than God was in the Bible? So the modern mock bankruptcy laws until 2005 were adopted based upon Scripture. Until a certain person who's president now overturned it, by the way. I just, he led the charge to change the bankruptcy laws. I'm not trying to give, I just, you have to understand. When we do it God's way, God blesses us. When we change the rules, when we do it some other way, even if it sounds well-meaning, but we don't do it God's way, we don't receive God's favor. Come on, amen? I probably shouldn't have said that, but it's in the news. Read it. It's what happened. It's what happened. And that that didn't protect the poor and the needy. Come on, amen? And just because some people take advantage of a bankruptcy law does not mean it isn't there to set people free from a bondage they found themselves in. God said it's a mercy law. Come on, amen? Mercy. Someone say mercy. I can never get an American Express card again, but praise God. I got mercy. American Express hates me, but... But it's amazing when you're going through that. I got all these offers for getting car loans. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> oh, bankruptcy. Hey, you have free money. <laughs> Get a new car. At 20% interest. <laughs> That's a fiery, passionate desire of God. We've got to see him as he's burning with fiery, passionate desire. We've got to see how God operates and how God functions so we can pray accordingly. Because if we don't understand the nature of God, we will misinterpret the revelations of what God's doing.
Because we will see pits, because the Bible's bits and pieces. The Bible says we see through a glass darkly. So we will see bits and pieces, and then we will filter it through our interpretation of the nature of God. Because there's times God's going to tell you, speak this judgment. You're like, and then there's times you want God to judge. And so as the Lord says, mercy, and you're saying, Jesus, I've got a verse here. Chop their heads off. Let them burn. David prayed it. It's spiritual. (laughs) Come on, have you read the Psalms? Lord, let their entrails fall upon the ground. (laughs) Come on, there's a time to call fire down from heaven. And there's a time to say, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. And if we don't understand the nature of God, we will not properly know what to pray and declare and release with the dominion that he's given us into the earth at the right time. Oh. So with a God of a fiery desire. And then the third thing. And there was a rainbow. Every say a rainbow. Woo, I love this one. There was a rainbow around the throne. In the appearance like an emerald. Everybody say rainbow. The rainbow. We know. Is the symbol. Of God's mercy. He said when. Flooded the earth. He said I'm going to give you a sign. That I'll never again destroy the earth by water. When you see the rainbow. The rainbow. Is a sign. Of God's covenant. To have mercy. So John is seeing here in heaven. And he's seeing the hard. God of judgment. Unshakable. Unmovable. He's seeing the eyes of fiery passionate desire. Of passionate love. And he's seeing that the entire throne is surrounded by the mercy of God. For the Bible says, mercy and justice are the foundation of your throne. I want you to put this deep in your spirit. It's so important to understand the nature of God. God has surrounded himself with a rainbow to declare to us that everything I do that flows from the throne out to you must pass through my mercy before it reaches you. And everyone that comes to me must pass through my mercy in order to get close to me. That's why the Bible says his mercies are renewed day by day. Every day. That's why the Bible says my mercy endures forever. I want you, John, before I tell you what's about to happen so you can pray in the kingdom and the end time events, before I show you that, you need to see me as the God that never changes. You also need to see me the God filled with fiery, passionate desire. And you must understand everything I do passes through mercy before it gets done. Huh? See, the Bible says in Psalm chapter 2, speaking about the end times, when the judgment comes, it speaks about what you read in the book of Revelation. He said, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Even all the craziness in the book of Revelation, God is still restraining himself. He is still operating in mercy 
while executing the minimal judgment needed in order to bring about his righteous plan. I'm going to say that again. That's very important. God is always operating in mercy, exercising the minimum judgment needed in order to bring about his righteous plan. 